Good morning. Welcome to Devotions. I don't know what anything else is going on in the world, but I know one thing is a reality. God is with you today. As you get out of your bed, God has watched over you all night long. His angels have been given charge concerning you. He said that pestilence shall not come near your home. God has stood guard around your home all night long. My friends, God is with you and God loves you. You need to keep your focus on God in these days. Now, every morning and every evening, Sister Bev does it at night, I do it in the morning, we start with Psalms chapter 91. You say, well, Pastor, why do you have Sister Bev do it in the evening? You need a new voice once in a while. Besides that, she's pretty. Psalms 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Oh, God, we trusted you today. Sometimes you just have to say that out loud to God. Walk around your house and lift your hands before him and say, God, I trust in you. God, I trust you with my family. God, I trust you with my children. God, I trust you with my home. God, I trust you with my job. God, I trust you with the business that you've entrusted to me. God, I trust you with my life. God, I trust you with my future. Sometimes you just walk around the house saying that to God. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. Sister Bev taught you some great things about that the other night. His faithfulness is a shield. I love that. I like what Brother Eros did. I saw it on Facebook the other day. He made a shield, put God's faithfulness on the front of it. Ah, that's a beautiful thing. You can look up Eros upside day. You can see it on his Facebook. Oh, poor Eros. He's going to get inundated now. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness. We're not afraid of this thing, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Hear that, frontliners. You'll see things, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because, because, cause and effect, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. You've chosen to live in God. In him we live and move and have our being, Paul says. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed, shall be allowed to befall you. No plague no plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love. Because you hold tight to God, not in, not in fear, not like a little child clinging in fear and crying, mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, daddy. Because you hold fast to me in love, you're hugging him tight because of love. I will deliver him. I will protect him. 
because he knows my name. That's what we're focusing on every night. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Paul says in Hebrews 10, 23, faithful is he who has promised. The one who made these promises is not some preacher. The one who made these promises is, is not some salesman. The one who made these promises is faithful. Faithful is he who has promised. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. And whatsoever things we ask in his name, Jesus, you said that the Father would do them. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, let your hand of protection be upon every born-again believer. Let your hand of protection be upon every one of our members, Lord, and every born-again believer across our nation. Father, let this be a time of distinction. Let this be a time when people see the hand of God upon the people of God. Father, we have nothing to prove to anybody. We're not going to be super spiritual and put the Lord to the test. But Lord, we ask that in this time of distinction, let people see the distinction. Glorify yourself in our lives, Lord. Let your glory be seen. Let your power, let your faithfulness be seen in our lives by all of our families and all of our relatives. We thank you for it, Father. Lord, I pray for the Lolos and the Lolas today. Oh, let their eyes be sharp and clear and their bodies be strong, just like with Moses. Let your hand be upon them, satisfy them with a long life and a life worth living. Not just crippled or walking around and carried about, but a life worth living, Father. Lord, we lift to you, Brother John and Sister Pat, this morning. After that fall, Lord, and eight stitches in her head, Lord, just let healing flow. Let the Holy Ghost just, just soothe that wound, pour the oil of the Spirit upon it, and just bring healing. Father, we pray for Pastor Paul Chase with this, this cancer. Lord, we ask that you heal that prostate right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we command that that thing die at its very roots, just like that fig tree. Let it die at its root. Let it die at its core in the name of Jesus. And Father, no spread. Instead, it dies at its roots. We thank you for healing and a great testimony, Father, of your mercy upon his life. Father, I pray for all the pastors across the country this morning. Lord, let your hand of wisdom be upon all of us. Leading your people in these times is not easy, Lord. People are nervous, people are afraid, and people say hard things. Father, I pray for every pastor, I pray for every pastora. Let your gracious hand of wisdom be upon all of us. Show us, Lord. You said that you lead your people by our hand. What a privilege, privilege you have given us. But Lord, how can we lead them if you don't show us what to do? Guide us and lead us through these uncertain times, Lord. You are the rock. You are the foundation. You are the stability of our times. Lead us, Father, that we can lead your people. Show us the path that we can lead your people down that path in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for all of our people who are concerned about their jobs in the future. Oh, Father, I thank you. 
I thank you that your hand of blessing is upon them, that you have seen all the seed that they have sown. It's come up like a memorial before you. You've seen all the faithfulness of their tithe. It's come up like a memorial before you. Father, honor them in these days. This is not a time of sowing, Father. This is a time of reaping. Let them see the faithfulness of our God. Lord, you promised in your word, you'd show yourself faithful to those that are faithful. We've come so far, Lord. We've come so far out of poverty. Father, in the name of Jesus, this is just the devil trying to bring the nation back into poverty. Lord, in Jesus' name, let your hand of blessing rest upon our land. From the Batanis to General Santos, Lord, let your hand of blessing rest upon all of our crops. Let your hand of blessing, Lord, let this thing even turn around. And factories that we lost to China all those years ago, let there be a resurgence of factories. Not just call centers, Lord, but factories, a, a complete diversification, Lord, of business across our land. Father, bless the hand of all of our businessmen and give them ideas and creativity to open new things. Father, I thank you. I thank you that these will be great days ahead, great days of harvest ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts and stand up now and spend some time in worship.
everything we desire, Lord God, but you. Your presence alone, All we want is you, Jesus. Just come and fill us up tonight, Lord
I am so looking forward to getting back in services again. Oh, my goodness. Now, let me throw just a little thought out there because there are many pastors that are also listening in every morning. So those of you that are pastors, you're listening in in other countries and stuff. Let me tell you what I shared with several pastors yesterday from other countries who have a little different laws than we have here in the Philippines. They're still allowed to meet, but no more than 10. They're still allowed to meet, though no more than 50. They're still allowed to meet, though no more than 100. So the different countries having different laws about church services. So what I've been telling these pastors is do church by appointment. You know, you mark your chairs off like we did it. The last weekend we were able to allowed, allowed to have services here by our government, but mark your chairs off so everybody keeps the social distancing. But then the way to control the crowd is turn this around to a positive and just say, you're going to make an appointment with God. Yeah, church by appointment. Meet with God by appointment. Your appointment. And you're going to have to run more services. But, you know, church by appointment where, okay, and you're going to have to run a little shorter services, but church by appointment. Now, there's a little thought for you. And you, you, you share it with the people as your appointment with God this Sunday will be at 7 your appointment will be a God at 8.30. Your appointment with God will be at 10 o'clock. Your appointment with God will be at 10.30. And you may have to just really work hard this weekend. But if your countries are still letting you have services, please do it as long as you can for the sake of the people. We're, we're not putting God to the test, but people need the presence. All right. Let's get together in Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Now, we're going to read just basically two stories today, two tremendous stories of healing that are very appropriate in the time that we're living. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, so notice all of this teaching that he has just done has been very, very public. He entered Capernaum. Now, this is the place where he lived during most of his ministry time. Now, if you go with us to the city of Capernaum, you see it's not a very big place, but it's one of the conservative Jewish communities. Jesus did not live in Sabore or in Tiberias, which would be the more secular communities where the theaters were and the Colosseums where the gladiators were, like at the Herod's Palace there in Tiberias. He didn't live in those great, big, fancy metropolitan areas. He, Jesus, forgive me, lived in the barrio. Jesus was a country boy. Jesus was a provinciano. So even during this time of his ministry, he based out of Capernaum. He entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. Now, all right, so let's define these people. A centurion would be a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred men. He is not a Jew. We don't know what nationality he was. He might've been Roman, 
though usually the Roman soldiers were stationed in the more highly desired areas such as uh, Tiberias or Jerusalem for security purposes or Caesarea, which is the first place we go, the big port city. That's where the big Roman contingent was based. So this guy might have been from another country. A centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Now, highly valued here does not refer to financial value. It refers to value of the heart. So here is a man who cared about the people who worked for him. Now, before you think that's strange, how many of our families have yayas or helpers that, you know, you might be 40 years old today, but this lady who still works with you with your family was your yaya as a baby growing up, but now she's older and she can't do what she used to do, but she's part of the family. That's a highly valued person. All right. Highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, now always notice, heard about Jesus. Whenever you see that in scripture, you see how important it is that testimonies go out. Yes, there are sometimes Jesus said, don't share this. But how often do we find in the gospels, people heard about Jesus. They came, they had hope because they heard about Jesus. So important when God does a miracle in your life, when God does a miracle for your family, that you tell people what Jesus did. It gives them hope. And in their time of need, they approach. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to the elders of the Jews. He sent him to the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servants. So he sent to him the elders. He didn't come himself. He, he sent the leaders of the city, the Jewish leaders of the city of Capernaum, asking him to come and heal a servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. Now, got to understand, Jesus didn't go minister to the Gentiles. You see that with the, the woman with the demon-possessed child. And finally said, even the dogs eat the scraps that are dropped. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, religion always talks about somebody who's worthy because of what they have done. Now, that is a negative in my mind. We're never made worthy by what we accomplish. Everything we receive from God is by grace. But religion always talks about worthy. They gave this much money, they've done all these good works, therefore they're worthy of this miracle. Eh, every miracle comes by grace. But I do want you to notice the heart of this man. He was not a typical centurion who was, was mean and nasty and, and dominating over the people in this small Capernaum village. He was not like that. He was also a man who built their synagogue. The, the synagogue that Jesus preached in in Capernaum was built by this man. He at least, if we don't know he paid for it, but he at least oversaw the construction and made arrangements for the construction of this synagogue, which became the, the heart of the city. So you, you see a man that is probably like Cornelius, a God-fearer. You see, many of the Roman soldiers, especially the officers that had been sent in by Rome to to occupy Israel, many of these men saw the Jewish way of life and they liked what they saw. They came from a very decadent Roman and Greek culture with 
you know, orgies and drunkenness and the god Dionysus, the god of drunkenness and debauchery. And they came from this horribly broken society that was just destroyed by sin. And they got around Jewish people and they saw strong families that had dinner every Shabbat. Every week the family gathered together for dinner. They saw families that loved each other and they cared about each other and they had ethics and standards that they lived by. So many, many of these centurions, like this man and like Cornelius, became God-fearers. And God-fear was actually a term the Jews used, and they were allowed to, to go to synagogue. Now, they would sit in a special place, but they were allowed to go to synagogue. And this is a huge audience of the Apostle Paul. And most of his early converts came from these God-fearers that were already opening their hearts to God. So when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. Now, I have a question mark in my Bible by that. Why did Jesus go? He, he refused to go with the woman whose, whose daughter was possessed, but he, he went with them. Maybe Jesus understood something we don't want to know. I mean, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. So maybe this God part of him understood that here's a man who has faith. This is a God-fearer, so he's going to be treated differently than people who have never been around God. So he, Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house. The Turian sent friends. Now, he's not sending elders now. He's not sending the Jewish elders, the religious leaders. Now he sends friends. And notice the difference. The elders talk about the worthiness. The friends communicate a different message. The friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Notice he calls him Lord. He doesn't say rabbi. He says, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy. He, he knew what these guys were saying about him. He said, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you. But just say the word. And let my servant be healed, for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowds that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now, before we finish up the story, just notice that. He said, I haven't found that kind of faith anywhere. Now, what did Jesus look at as faith? This man is not even a Jew. What did Jesus look at as faith? A man who understood authority. He said, I'm a man under authority. I say something and my servants do it. I'm told to do something and I do it. A person who understands authority is a person who understands faith. This man understood authority. He understood what Jesus had the right to do. And authority just means the right to do something. Now, now this is an absolutely, incredibly marvelous truth. See, people want to make faith some kind of a mind over matter thing. Military people, real military people, find faith a very easy thing to understand because they understand being under authority and they understand having authority. They find it a very easy thing. Faith is just simply a comprehension of authority. 
And Jesus looks and marvels at this guy. First of all, he's humble. He said, I, I, please, I know they're saying that I'm worthy. I'm, I'm not worthy, Jesus. But Jesus, I do know that you have the right to do this. I know who you are, your Lord. I know you have the right to do this. And I'm asking you to do it because you have the right to do it. Jesus said, I haven't found such faith in all of Israel. Now, now that is an amazing, absolutely amazing thing to me. Another translation says, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Now, brothers and sisters, stop thinking that faith is mind over matter, that faith is positive thinking. Everybody's talking about think positive, think positive. I don't care about thinking positive. I care about thinking Jesus. There is a huge difference. This man focused on Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what Jesus had the right to do, and he asked him to do it. Now that is faith in its simplest form. Religion focuses on deserving. Faith focuses on Jesus. And the story is closed out in verse 16. When those who had been sent to the house returned, they found the servant well. There's no distance in what Jesus can do. <laughs> that, that's one of the things you just got to get over, folks. Jesus can heal people. You can pray, and Jesus can reach into a hospital room 10,000 kilometers away and heal somebody. There's no distance in prayer. There's no distance in, in a miracle. See, you're dealing with God, and with God, distance is not relative, just like time is not relative. God does not live in linear time, and God is not bound in, in feet and meters linear distance. So right now, if you've got relatives that are in other parts of the world and you're concerned about them, understand, just like here, Jesus can just reach out and touch them wherever they are. Now, the next story. Soon afterwards, he went into a town called Nain, also there in the Galilee. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Now, notice the disciples. Now, that's not just the 12. That's a large group of people. Okay, These are disciples. Remember, from the disciples, Jesus chose 12. We know that there are at least 84. Some put it well up into the hundreds. Okay. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. Now, notice, had died. This, is, this has happened a while ago. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, you have to understand the horribleness of this situation. She's a widow. She has no husband to provide for her. In that culture, a widow, she had to be dependent upon her sons. This was a very male-dominated society. For the most part, women didn't do business and things in the, in the Jewish society. They did in the Greek, but not so much the Jewish now, in addition to that, now her only son dies. Now, at that point, this woman is alone, and she has a horrible future ahead of her. Okay, it's Life is going to be incredibly difficult from this point forward for that woman. Not only has she lost her husband, she's lost her only son. There'll never be grandbabies. There'll never be grandchildren to play with. And economically, she's got nothing but hard days ahead. So this is the situation. And this, and a considerable crowd from the towns with her. Now, whenever I preach this passage in the old tent days, I talk about the happy crowd and I talk about the sad crowd. 
because there was a happy crowd with Jesus coming into the city, and there was a sad crowd with this woman coming out of the city. And when the Lord saw her, now, that to me is one of the most beautiful truths in the universe, when the Lord saw her. He's not just enjoying the adoration of the crowd around him, the, the great crowd around him, the disciples around him. He's not just looking at the considerable crowd around her and thinking, how can I get these people to come to me? He looks at her. In the middle of all the crowds, Jesus sees her. Now, my friend, draw encouragement from that. There may be lots of people around you. There may be lots going on in Manila right now. But God sees your need. Yours. Just yours. This is the beautifulness of Jesus. He saw her. He noticed her. Jesus notices need. Jesus notices hurt. Now, at some point, you just need to realize the incredible compassionate heart of our Savior gives him eyes to see. See, oftentimes we think people only notice success and the people dressed well and the people that are going to be very powerful, the influencers of society. Ah, Jesus doesn't pay attention to that. You want to know what Jesus sees? One woman who has no hope and no future. Ah. Jesus is more wonderful than my heart can ever comprehend. He saw her and had compassion on her. So he had eyes to see, and then he had a heart that felt. Ah. He had eyes to see, and then he had a heart to feel. Had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer. He touched the coffin. And the bearer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, imagine talking to a dead man. <laughs> he talked to a dead man. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Now, please forgive me. That's one of these times I would have loved to have seen this. When, when I get to heaven, maybe I'll talk to people who were there. Can you imagine what it was like for people when all of a sudden this guy sat up and began to talk? Whoa! <laughs> I wonder if they dropped the coffin with him still in it. <laughs> the young man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. I like that. Jesus didn't say, come follow me. Ah, Jesus gave him to his mother. Sometimes, young people, you need to realize God calls you to the ministry. Sometimes, young people, God calls you to go testify. And sometimes, God gives you to your parents. Ah. Fear sees them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. Now, I like the New International Version, my favorite translation of this passage. It says, God has come to help his people. <laughs> Folks, you need to understand. God has come to help us. And this report, what report? That God has come to help his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Ah, 
What a beautiful passage of scripture. Now, let's go over to the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Chapter three, Deuteronomy chapter three. I just like that. He gave the boy to his mother. I like that. That'll be a sermon one day. Deuteronomy chapter three, beginning with verse 12. When we took possession of this land at that time, this is Moses writing to them. When we took possession of the land of this land at that time, I gave to the Reubenites and to the Gadites the territory beginning at Ayer, which is on the edge of the Valley of Arn, and half of the hill country of Gilead, which is cities. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og. Remember Og, this is that giant guy who um, slept in a bed that was 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. <laughs> he was Matangad at Matabat. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, that is all the region of Argon, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and all the portion of Bashan is called the land of Rephium. Jar, the Manassite, took all the region of Argob, that is Bashan, as far as the border, the Gershonites and the Machalites, and called the villages after his own, after his own name, Havort Jar, as it is to this day. To Makir, I gave Gilead, and to the Reubenites and to the Gadites, I gave the territory from Gilead as far as the valley of Arnon with the middle of the valley as its border and as far over as the river Jabok, the border of the Ammonites. And Araba also with the Jordan as its border from Chinnereth as far as the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea, under the slopes of Pixah on the east. And I commanded you at that time saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess all your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock. I know that you have much livestock. Now, for some reason, these guys were really, really good with the livestock stuff, all right? And all your livestock shall remain in the cities I have given you until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. And you, and they shall also occupy the land the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So the Lord will do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Now, I want you to notice a beautiful truth here. We draw faith for future conflict from past conflict. Now, now just... Think about that for a minute. We draw faith for future conflict. We draw faith for future problems from watching what God has done for us in the past. Now, some of you young people, you're, I've heard stories that you're a little envious of your parents because they're just all relaxed and cooking food and they're enjoying the family time together. They've got some company at home because usually you're never home. And you're very concerned and very worried and they just, they're all relaxed and happy. Well, there's a reason for that. When we're a little older, now, when we were young, we, you know everything by faith. You, you know everything by theory. You, you know what the Bible says and you believe it. And it's good and it's beautiful. I don't in any way criticize that. But I'm 63 now. 
When I landed in the Philippines over 40 years ago, I landed with 300 US dollars in my pocket and no support. I've been your pastor for 40 years. I've lived as a Filipino pastor. I've watched God provide. Now there were times we ate a lot of mangoes, but I've watched God provide all through the years. I've watched the faithfulness of God upon our members all through the financial crises of the 80s, the 90s, the Jobo bills. I've watched God never fail us, never forsake us. I've watched his miracles of healing in my body and Sister Bev's body and your bodies. I've watched the faithfulness of God. And you have to understand, young people, that your Lolo and your Lola, your mom and your dad, they've seen some things. They've, they've fought some fights of faith. They've fought some battles of faith. They've seen some things. And they've learned faithful is he who has promised. Now, young people, you'll never be the same after this. Because when this is all done, and it is well, you're going to look around and you're going to see how God blesses. And you're going to see the end of the story. You Right now, you sing the song and you get very excited. It will always end in praise. But when this is all over, and this is past, and it will pass, and you see the hand of God's blessing upon your lives, you'll never be the same again. Theory has moved into experience. You've seen the hand of God. You've seen that God never fails, that God never forsakes. Some of you will watch incredible miracles, not just of provision, but of healing and everything else during this time. You just need to understand, your parents aren't carefree. Your parents have just learned the rest of faith. And, and it's something that, you know, you have to learn. Do, do you remember Peter in the boat? Jesus, don't you care if we drown? I like Peter because he, he's an illustration of all of our lives. Jesus, don't you care that we drown? He was very upset in that crisis. But later when he's arrested and the order has been given for his execution and he's about to die, it's midnight. He's sound asleep. He's so asleep that the angel has to kick him to wake him up. He has learned the rest of faith. Young people, you've got the theory, and I don't doubt your faith, but as you add some experiences to it, you're gonna find that there's a rest that comes in. So learn the principle here. We draw faith for future conflicts from remembering what God has already done. Verse 23. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O oh Lord, you have only begun to show your servant the greatness of your mighty hand and your mighty hand. You have only begun to show. All right, so there's a beginning of God showing us his greatness, and there's a lot more to see. Now, can you imagine a man who has watched the plagues of Egypt, who has been hid in the cleft of the rock, and all of God's goodness passes by in front of him and God speaks to him. Who has seen the glory of God come down in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Who has been up on the mount and has seen God seated on his throne upon a transparent sea of glass 
And he and the elders of Egypt sat down and ate lunch in front of the throne of God. He's seen all of that. And he said, God, you have only begun to show your servant. Now, now these, when, when, see, when I read my Bible and devotions every day, these are the thoughts that just go through my head. And sometimes I even talk to myself about them. These are the thoughts. I'll sit there and write, wow. After all he experienced, he said, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. Well, if with Moses, God only began, I'm not even sure I'm at the starting point yet. It's amazing. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, the good hill country in Lebanon. Now, God had already told him no, because remember, he disobeyed and dishonored God before the people. He lost his temper before the people and disobeyed God. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. Now, Moses, come on, let's talk about this a minute. You, you lost your temper and dishonored God, but so let's not blame the people. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this again. Now, isn't it interesting? God says, Moses, be quiet. That's literally what God is saying. But Balaam kept coming back again and again and again. So I put a little note in my Bible, a question mark. Why did God tell Moses to be quiet and let Balaam keep asking the same foolish question again and again? I don't have an answer for you. Go up to the fount or to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes. For you shall not go over the Jordan. Now notice that. This is mercy. Moses, you dishonored me before the people. You lost your temper and disobeyed me before the people. See, all of that speaking to the rock and striking the rock is symbolic of Jesus. Jesus is that rock. So the first time, strike the rock because Jesus would be struck once. Second time, speak to the rock. From now on, provision flows not from the sufferings of Jesus, but from request through Jesus's name. So Moses broke all of the symbolism of all that. But God said, in my mercy, go look at the land. Verse 28, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. That's what you have to do with new young leaders. You have to charge you new young leaders. You have to encourage new young leaders and you have to strengthen new young leaders. These, these are requirements of transition. For he shall go over at the head of his people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Beor. Chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules I am teaching you this day, and do them, that you may live, number two, and go in and take possession of the land. So go in and take possession of the land. God said, obey these laws because in obedience to these laws, blessing will come. Take possession of the land the Lord your God, the God of your fathers is giving you. Verse two, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor shall you take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Now notice, we shouldn't be adding rules to whatever God says. We don't add things to it, and we don't take things from it. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the people, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. 
See, I have taught you statutes and rules as, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them. Now, here's another blessing of obedience. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sights of peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the God who is among us? Now notice, the ethics and the standards that God has given us that we live by reveal the greatness of us as a people. I talked to you about that a little bit ago. The, the Roman soldiers would become God-fearers because they saw the lifestyle of the people of Israel and they saw it as a better lifestyle than the Greco-Roman lifestyle. But also notice, for what nation is there that has a God so great to it as the Lord our God is to us? Now we know there are no other gods in this world, just Jehovah. All other gods are just demon spirits masquerading as false gods. So notice, demons don't draw near to people. <laughs> you need to get a hold of that one for a bit. Never think that a demon god is good to people. Never think that a demon god has a close personal relationship with people. Demons are like Satan. They only come to steal, kill, and destroy. So all of these demon gods, all of these false demon gods that are, were in the world then and are in the world now, they don't draw close to the people. There's no intimate relationship. There's no love relationship. God is the only true God. Verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently. Now, here's some of these um, warnings here. Take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. He said, now listen, warning, don't have a good forgetter when it comes to the things of God. Now, how do you make sure that you don't forget them? Make them known to your children and to your children's children. You keep teaching them. The way you don't forget a truth is you not only live it, but you pass it on. Verse 10, and how on the day that you stood before the Lord at Mount Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. Now, God said, I want the people to be close to me and hear my voice so that they learn to respect me and that they may teach to teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness and cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you. Now remember back early when God spoke to the people at the mountain and the people said, Moses, we don't want God to speak to us. You, you, speak, you let God speak to you and then you tell us what God said. So God spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words but saw no form. There was only a voice and he declared to you his covenant which he commanded to you to perform. That is the 10 commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. Now notice. When Moses went up to the mountain to have those two tablets written, this was not new information. Ah, now wait a minute here. These 10 commandments had already been spoken to the people of Israel. God spoke to them out of the fire. They heard the voice of God speak to them these 10 commandments. So Moses did not go up on the mountain and get these things as a fresh revelation, as something new. 
God had already spoken these things to the people of Israel. And that's when they said, don't, don't let God speak to us again, Moses, please. You, you talk to God and then you tell us what God said. And that was, in my Bible, I always write next to that passage, the saddest day in Israel's history. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Verse 15, therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Now, here's another warning. Whenever you see these warnings in the Bible, write cautions or write warnings in your Bible. Right? Just write it right next to it. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure. He said, now, you know, when God spoke to you that day, you saw the reality of God, but there was no form. He said, now, I want you to understand something. You know that God does not have a physical form. Do not make an idol. See, people always want to make something to assist them in worship. They want something to bow down to. They, they want to touch something. They, they want to, to, to be able to visualize something. Folks, I can't visualize God. I have no comprehension of God. I mean, when you look in Revelation and you see God seated on a sapphire throne, he's called carnelian red. It's a type of red. And he's seated on his throne, and in the middle of the throne is a lamb that was slain. And I'm sitting there going, and my brain just does not compute. A God who is so large that the earth is his footstool? My, uh, so, you know, we, we speak in human terms, but God said, I don't ever want you to make something of a form. And to this day, conservative Jews in Israel, there are no statues. They're just not there. There used to be a statue of King David in the old quarter. And uh, it finally had to be taken away because the conservative Jews was out, were always defacing it, breaking the nose off of it, throwing black paint on it. I, I remember walking into a hotel one time and they had figures of people's faces hanging on the walls and things as artwork. And I thought, this is not a Jewish hotel. And sure enough, it was not. It was in the old German quarter. It was not a Jewish hotel. Verse 19. Well, let's back up, verse 17. The likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them, because that's what was worshipped in Egypt. And serve them, the things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. Now, Moses always reminded the people, don't think about the leeks and the garlics and the fish, and don't think about life was good in Egypt. Remember hard times as hard times. That was an iron furnace, okay? That, was, that Those were not good times. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Here's another warning. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. So now we have four warnings in this passage in chapter four. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you 
and make a carved image, a form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today and will soon utterly perish from the land you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. So, you know, there's conditions to receive a promise. And forgive me, there are conditions to remain in a promise. See, there are many people that they do what is necessary to receive a promise. They fulfill the conditions that God places. But then they don't continue to live right. And what you turn around one day and the promise is gone. Now, it's always still available, but they leave the promise because they've changed their lifestyle. There's a lifestyle that you, re- that you live to walk into a promise and live in the promise. Verse 27, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord your God will drive you. And there you will serve the gods of wood and stone and the, and the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But From there, if you seek the Lord your God, and you will find him, if you search for him, after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Right now today, all across Israel, People are crying out for the Messiah. Right now, with this pandemic sweeping the world, crowds have flocked in, into the, the uh, Western Wall area. And please forgive me, there, is no, there was no social distancing. It was chest to back, shoulder to shoulder, packed human beings crying out for Messiah. I've seen videos of soccer games in the great soccer stadium there in Jerusalem, right next to the Jerusalem Mall, where At the end of the soccer match, they began to sing a song, reaching out, looking forward for Messiah. These are days in which the people of Israel are returning to God. And in these latter days, God said they would return. And one day, after the great tribulation is finished, after the construction of the third temple, one day after all of this is said and done, at the end of that tribulation, Jesus will leave heaven, the armies of heaven, and come down to the valley of Armageddon. And as he's moving across the sky, the Jews will look up from all of their hiding places because they will have been hiding for three and a half years because the Antichrist is trying to kill them. They will look up and they see him whom they have pierced. And they will cry out for forgiveness. And in an instant, All of Israel will be saved. It's going to be beautiful days that we see in the future. Beautiful, beautiful days. Father, I bring to you your people now today. I ask in Jesus' name. We've learned that we need some memory. We need to remember all the things that you've done for us. And we need to remember all the things that you ask of us. Lord, let us not have good forgetters. Jesus, you taught us that with the same measure we use, it will be measured unto us. If we don't use truth, we lose truth. Lord, give us good memories. 
and let us use these days when we are in forced solitude with our families. Let us use these days to pass on the stories, the spiritual heritages of our family. Let us share with our children and our grandchildren the stories of all that you have done for us all through the years and let their faith grow. And let us teach our children and our grandchildren the requirements of the Lord. Let these be productive days, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight, seven o'clock.